0: You're listening to the sermon audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.
1: Good morning. This morning's scripture reading is in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, and that can be found on page 594 of the Chairback Bibles if you like and If you don't have a Bible, please feel free to take one of those home with you. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Jinsre, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat and when he had finished speaking he said to simon put out into the deep and let your de- let let down your nets for a catch and simon answered master we toiled all night and took nothing but at your word i will let down the nets and when they had done this they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. We gather to worship and praise you. Thank you for revealing truth to us through your word. Spirit guide Jeremy as he delivers your word this morning. We desire to glorify you with our lives. In Jesus' name we all pray together. Amen.
0: If you're serious about following Jesus. One of the best habits you can begin to develop is reading your Bible consistently. I mean, if you really want to know him and grow more like him. Be in his word. And make that a regular part of your life. But I warn you. If you begin to read through the Bible, you're going to find yourself facing some questions that are sort of a head scratcher. Now there's some aggressive types in here who are like, Bible reading plan, boom, you're talking my love language and I've been reading through the Bible, the whole Bible, every year I spend 30 minutes a day and I do my three or four chapters and I knock it out and for those of you who've never done a Bible in a year plan, you're like, good grief, people. <laughs> if you've never done a Bible reading plan, a a great one to begin with would be just read the New Testament this year. Uh, reading the New Testament in a year means you're reading one chapter four or five days a week. It'll take you a year, but you'll get through the whole New Testament. And, and if you did that and you were jumping into the, t- the New Testament, you'd, probably begin in one of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, you'd get to Luke. And, and if you were reading through the life of Jesus, you were committed to wanting to grow more like him. There would be one question, especially that might jump up that even this text this morning brings up. And it's this, why does Jesus seem to have all of this miraculous power? Why does he Seem to be able to do these incredible miracles that really change people's lives. But then we don't actually see him doing that very much at Mill Creek. (laughs) And you might be thinking, unless y'all elders are keeping some stuff in a secret file folder about people who can't walk and then can. (laughs) Going to some funerals and all of a sudden people are alive. Why don't we see today the same kind of miraculous moments we saw then? That's a legit question. And if you start doing a Bible reading plan, I wouldn't be surprised if that thing comes up. But for some of us, the question actually can get a lot more personal when we face similar issues that those in the Bible are facing. Like what I mean is if... If anybody in here is really struggling with spiritual oppression, and then you come to this story where a person who's spiritually oppressed is released, you think, yeah, I feel that and I want that. Or if you find yourself struggling with some sickness, disease, in God's sovereignty, there's many dear to our hearts here in our church struggling with cancer. And and, and we've been praying. I've been praying. You perhaps have been praying too. God, God saved them, heal them. And he does it in the text. Is he going to do it now? Have you felt that tension before? There's other things that happen. Christ can provide for people financially. And so those of us with financial challenges or... God restores relationships and community. So those of us with relational challenges, we're like, yeah, boy, sign me up for some of that. And we wonder, well, you did it then. And I, I'm sure you're powerful and you could do it now. But will you? God, we believe you can. Why aren't you yet? If you're going to commit yourself to some Bible reading, that's a real question that you may have to wrestle with. And, or if you've ever just had that question. I'm so glad you're with us this morning because, because that's exactly the question that this text is going to address for us today. And as you walk out these doors at the end of the service, I hope that you can see from, from Luke 4.31 all the way to the end of our text at 5.16. You're able to say, aha, I now know how Luke Answers that question. And what we're going to find is. That there is a big difference. Between what we want Jesus to do. And what Jesus came to do. There's a big difference. Between what we want. And what Jesus wants. And those are the two big ideas in our text. They will be the two big ideas of the sermon. So if you're taking notes, big idea number one, what we want Jesus to do. And then we'll clean up some of the scriptures we miss with our second big idea, what Jesus came to do. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you open to Luke 4.31? I want to walk us through this text so you can see, not making it up. Didn't just think this would be a fun way to start a sermon. That's what this text is about, and I want you to get it. So... What we want Jesus to do. Look at Luke 4.31. If you open there, what you're going to see is Jesus is in Capernaum. And, and everybody who's listening to Jesus preach is really impressed with his power and authority. Jesus has only been on the scene now since the beginning of chapter 4, but we are beginning to see he is very impressive in his ministry. He preaches like nobody's preached before. And folks, listen to him and say, man, he has power in his word. Look there at verse 32. His word possessed authority. You might circle Word right there Because that's a key idea In this section And as readers or The the, the guy that Luke wrote this to His name was Theophilus We know that from chapter 1 Might be asking the question Okay, okay So Jesus was a powerful preacher But how powerful was he? How much authority did his word really have? Luke says Well, let me tell you Verse 33 A demon-possessed man He is spiritually oppressed. He confronts Jesus. And this demon possessed man, somehow the the demon is speaking. And the demon tries to bully Jesus. Fat chance. Good luck. As the demon is trying to flex on Jesus, the demon even knows who Jesus is. See it in the text? Are you really the whole, you're the Holy One of God, he says. But the key here is seen at the end of verse 35. If you, if you look there, you see Jesus rebuking the demon, be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in the midst, he came out of him having done him no harm. What culturally they would have understood that interesting for us to consider is the the demon in trying to bully jesus use his name establish his own authority is also threatening i'm gonna if you're gonna cast me out so be it but i'm gonna hurt the man while i leave not with jesus bro (laughs) jesus releases the man from demon oppression and the man is not hurt that's how much authority jesus's word has that demon has no power here The response, verse 36, all those who saw it were amazed and said, look in the text. What is this word? You see it there again? That's the key idea. What is the word? So as readers, we're we're realizing, okay, Jesus has powerful over the spiritually oppressed. Verse 38, Jesus leaves the synagogue. Maybe they had two services as well. It's close to lunch. And somebody invites him over to their house for lunch. Come over. Eat some lunch with us. Jesus says, okay. It's Peter's mother-in-law's place. And she has a fever. No surprise. As Jesus got. He's here. Obviously, Jesus has authority in preaching. And over the spiritually oppressed man. Turns out he's got authority over fevers too. Heals Peter's mother-in-law. And she gets up. She's. Gifted, it seems, with a hospitality, and she starts serving everybody. In fact, serving, in the original language, is the same word for deacon. Some wonder if Peter's mother-in-law and the first deacon of the new community. She's just going around, helping folks right there. Jesus ends up staying through the afternoon, it gets late, and all of a sudden... All of these people, verse 40, come from all the area. They're bringing all their sick, all their loved ones. Jesus laying his hands on every one of them. Healing them. So, in case you're curious, how powerful is Jesus' word? Super powerful, thanks. (laughs) Whatever the, the synonym is to describe the most power you can ever imagine, use that one. Pick your superlative But after all these miraculous moments, an unexpected response in verse 42. Lean in there, because this is a surprise. Verse 42. And when it was day, Jesus departed and went into a desolate place. And the people, we expect from Capernaum, sought Jesus out and came to him and, and would have kept him from leaving them. That's real important for us to understand in this text. They would have kept Jesus from leaving them if they had the power to. See, the people in Capernaum didn't want Jesus to leave, and I think that is exactly how all of us would respond if he came here and did what he did here. If Jesus showed up, he's helping the spiritually oppressed, he's healing all y'all with a fever, And then all of a sudden word gets out and we go, oh man, this guy's healing people quick. Go get Aunt Sally Joe, bring her up. She's going to be healed. All of a sudden you got a line all the way out to the road. Jesus just healing everybody. As soon as, as soon as we all went home, take a nap, go to sleep for the night, come back the next day, Jesus is gone. We say, whoa, 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 we're going to do a healing service. We're going to go through Monday as well. We'll do it all week as long as Jesus is here and and we would want him to heal. But that's not what Jesus came to do. Which is why he went to a desolate place. Keep that in mind because we're going to see a desolate place at the end of this passage as well. So what we know is Jesus is not all about healing the sick. Skip to 5.1. There we see a crowd pressing in on Jesus around this lake to hear his word. <laughs> there it is again. Jesus really is the most powerful of preachers. And he's got this huge crowd, which is why he decides, or I suppose asks, Hey, Peter, may I sit in your boat? Because Peter's boat, they had the midnight shift. That's how you fish. So fish can't see the nets. That's why they're done fishing. It's morning. Jesus sits on the boat. They're just cleaning their nets. Fine. Sit on my boat. I don't care. And he's getting ready to preach. And he does. And there's Peter sitting there. Listening to Jesus preach. And and all the crowd gets to hear him preach. It's all fantastic. But as Jesus finished teaching. Look what he says to Peter. Because this is shocking. He says. Let's go back out. And catch some fish. Something you got to know is. Peter, James and John. They're pros. This is what they do for a living. And. And Luke tells us that they had just gone out that night and caught nothing. If any of you like to fish and spend a couple hours out on the water and catch nothing. Or if any of you know somebody who likes to fish. And when they get back and you say, how'd you do? And they said, I caught nothing. (laughs) Usually they cranky. Wouldn't be surprised if Peter and the crew were cranky. Bro, we worked all night. Then we heard you preach. Now you want to go fishing? We just cleaned our equipment. You got to be kidding me. Not to mention, the worst time to fish is in the daytime. I actually think, or it would make sense to me. Had anybody else said to Peter, go fish? Like if his wife had showed up and said, Peter, you got nothing, you just get right back out there, boy, and go catch me some fish. Because this isn't just a hobby for Peter, this is how he puts food on the table. So he's double cranky. <laughs> Had I think if Peter's wife would have told him to get out there, he would have said, Fat chance, woman, I am not fishing. I will go back out later when it's nighttime, but I'm not going today. That's my sense of the way Peter was wired. But when Jesus says it to Peter, and this is the shock, Jesus says, let's go fishing, Oh, Jesus, by the way, not a fisherman, a carpenter. Okay, hammer boy, you want to go fish, but, but Peter says, okay. Look at verse five. But at your word. You see that key idea again? Your word. How powerful is Jesus' word? Powerful enough that a fisherman who caught nothing is willing to go out when the chances are, aren't Next to none. That he's going to catch a fish. Because Jesus says it. He goes. Okay. That's how powerful Jesus' word is. Verse 6. They caught so many fish. They caught so many fish. The nets started to break. Middle of daylight. They caught so many fish. They had to call another boat out. And as they put the fish. In their boat. And the other boat. Both boats. Start to play Titanic. They're sinking. It's too heavy. So many fish, which, by the way, is where the money comes from. I mean, this is like Peter's cashing in. This is like the biggest commission. Cha-ching. Jesus's powerful word is providing for us financially. Peter's wife is getting her some new shoes. At your word. What we see then here, and what Luke's showing us is, look how powerful Jesus' word is. It heals the spiritually oppressed. It heals people with fevers. It heals any and all diseases. It even provides for people financially. That's what, Jesus, that's what we're seeing here with Jesus. But just because Jesus can do something, doesn't mean that's what he came to do. One more, and then this will finish us out on this first idea. 512. There is a leprous man... Who falls on his face in front of Jesus. And he says verse 12. This is a precious, precious prayer. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Somehow this leprous man who remember culturally banished from society on permanent quarantine. leprosy. not only were you unclean under the Old Testament rules. It also removed you from being able to be around anyone else. And as if that wasn't punishment enough, most of the culture would look at the leprous man and think he deserved it. He must have done something really bad. That's why he's been punished with this really bad disease. So that's the sort of place he would live emotionally and mentally. And somehow that guy's heard about a man named Jesus who has a powerful word that could heal me. And he says... If you will I know you can And Jesus says I am willing I am willing Verse 13 Jesus touched him When was the last time Anybody touched that leprous man He was unclean Because of course if, if anybody touched him His contagious disease Would fall on them But not with Jesus Jesus The uncleanliness doesn't transfer from the leprous man to Jesus. In Jesus' economy, his cleanliness is so powerful that the leprous man now is healed. It's Jesus' cleanliness that is contagious here. Jesus tells him, go show yourself under the law of Moses so that you get pronounced clean. Jesus telling him go be relationally restored to the community. You're no longer on lifelong quarantine. You're out, bro. The COVID test came back negative. Welcome back to society. Even more people hear about this Jesus, which leads Jesus, as I gave you a heads up earlier, to once again go to a desolate place for prayer see that in verse 16 so two times in our text it's kind of the it's the marker after Capernaum he goes to a desolate place after this healing with the leprous man he goes to a leprous place and and what we want to remember is Luke at the very beginning of his book chapter one verse three he's given a little preface and he tells his reader I'm putting these stories together in an orderly account. Would you say orderly account? One, two, three. Orderly account. And, and Luke's saying, I put it together on purpose. I didn't just wake up one morning and go, man, tell him that story, then this one, then that other one over there. No, no. He's arranged them just right because he wants us to notice something. And what I'm convinced he wants us to notice is how powerful Jesus' word is. Powerful enough to bring Spiritual healing to the oppressed, physical healing to the diseased, financial healing to the broke, relational healing to those who are hurting. And yet he continues to go back to a desolate place because that's his primary purpose. Just because Jesus can do something doesn't mean that's what Jesus came to do. Well, then what is pastor? Because I do face some spiritual oppression and it's awful. Or I am looking down the barrel of a really scary diagnosis. Or I am feeling financially strapped and I don't know where relief is coming. Or the relationships I so cherish, they're gone. So, so if that isn't what's most important, what is? Well, let's move to our second big idea. Here's the key for us. What Jesus came to do. We skipped over 443 because I wanted to show you at this point of the sermon, Jesus' explicitly stated purpose. Look with me there. 443, Jesus said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. When all those people from Capernaum, after his all-night healing session, they're like, no, 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 we don't want you to leave. Stay here, we'll do a thing. Jesus says, no. I didn't come to heal. I came to preach good news of the kingdom of God. That's Jesus' purpose. And, and if you have your Bibles open to 443, just scan up to 418 real quick. If, if you just scan up to 418 or turn the page back to 418... That's Jesus' first sermon in Nazareth. That's what we covered last week. And, and in, in Jesus' coming out preaching party, he says, Isaiah 61 has now been fulfilled. And if you look close there, you might notice something. That, that Jesus didn't come to enrich the poor. That's not what 418 says. He didn't come to give liberty to captives. Again, look at 418. He didn't come even to help the blind to see. Look at 4.18. The, the spirit of the Lord is on Jesus. Jesus has been anointed to proclaim good news to the poor. Jesus has come to proclaim liberty to the captives. Verse 19. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Do you see how important this distinction is? Because I think folks have combined it far too often. And we do too. It's one thing to heal the blind. And I think we actually read that in the 418. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. I've come to proclaim good news to the blind. Jesus' ministry primarily is one of proclamation. It's one of preaching. He's happy to heal, but that isn't his main thing. In fact, arguably the most famous verse in all of Luke If you only could pick one verse to encompass all of Luke, it would be Luke 19.10. Some of you even have it memorized. Jesus says, I have come to seek and save the lost. That's what Jesus is about. Well, how is Jesus going to seek and save the lost? He tells us in this key text in our section 443. By preaching the good news of the kingdom of God to many towns. With Jesus' purpose clear, flip over to this 5, 1 to 11 little thing with Peter and remember then that just as soon as Peter has all of this financial windfall hit him, two boats full of fish, mama going to get some new shoes moment, Peter doesn't fall to his knees in the boat and say, oh Lord and Savior, how shall I invest this wonderful fortune you've just provided? Should I put it in stocks, bonds or crypto? Lord, teach me your ways. Oh, 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 Peter's on his knees, but he's doing something different. If, if you've got a Bible with cross-references, you'll see it right there on your little column. When Peter falls to his knees, and he says, I'm a man of unclean lips, he's, he's, I guess, memorized Isaiah 6, and that's what he's saying to Jesus. In case you didn't know it, Old Testament Geiger counter beep should be going off when you hear Peter's response. Because, because what he's doing is taking Isaiah's language in chapter 6, when Isaiah went into the temple. And then all of a sudden, the glory of God himself, with winged seraphim, the glory of the Lord and the train of his robe in the temple, has Isaiah going, my guess, shaky knees, oh my... This is God himself. And, and, and Isaiah says, woe is me. Because Isaiah knows his great sin. He says, he says, woe is me. I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips. That, that's him acknowledging his sin. I, I am a man of unclean lips. I, I have sin and I live in the midst of a people full of sin. But my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. And Isaiah knows the Bible. He knows you don't see God and live. You look at God and His holiness, you gone. Which is why Isaiah's afraid. That's what Peter's doing in the boat. He goes, Oh my, I know who you are. You're the same one that Isaiah saw. And he gets on his knees and he says, I am gravely aware of all of my sin. And he's afraid. Oh sure, verse 9, everybody else is talking about the catch. Everybody else is talking about the fish, but not Peter. He's afraid because he knows who's in front of him. And look what the Lord of hosts says to Peter, middle of verse 10. Do not be afraid. I know you're a sinner, Peter, but Jesus is here proclaiming comfort. Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they, Peter, James, John, left everything and followed Jesus. With Peter, then we have the positive example. All those people in Capernaum were saying, don't go, don't go. We want you here. We're going to have a little healing ministry for the next three weeks. You'll do it all, right? And Peter goes, oh, yeah, man, Jesus may be able to hit the lottery for me every day of the week with fishing, but I don't even care about fishing no more. I'm not in it for the money. I'm not here for Jesus' blessings. He's the Lord. I'm with him. And as Peter calls Jesus Lord, that's the connection to the last little section with the leprous man, who also is a positive example. The leprous man calls Jesus Lord. Connecting us then and showing us that that. Peter and the leprous man are the contrast to those in Capernaum. Capernaum wants Jesus to do what they want him to do. Peter and the leprous man are surrendered and saying, we'll do whatever you want us to do. See, friends, here's the meaning then. Our biggest problem is not spiritual oppression. As scary as spiritual oppression is, And our biggest problem is not sickness and disease. As scary as life-threatening sickness and diseases can be. Our biggest problem is not being financially strapped as nerve-wracking as it is to wonder if you're going to have bread on the table next month. Our biggest problem is not Relational conflict and not getting along with people as Troubling as that can be and as often as it may lead you to lose sleep at night. That's not our fundamental problem Our biggest problem is sin and We need a savior who's gonna come solve our fundamental problem that's what we need help with. This sin that is inside of us. This sin that we have been born with. Original sin that we inherited from Adam. As well as the sin that we have chosen for ourselves. That's the problem. That's what we need a solution for. And Jesus knows this. He He knows this. And that's why... That's why Jesus isn't just showing up, doing whatever the people wanted him to do, because if Jesus came here, showed up in the flesh, and he solved all your spiritual oppression, or sickness, or financial, or, or relational issues, he, he healed you today, you'd leave so excited, and you'd wake up tomorrow, and you'd have to come right back here, because your sin created more problems. He he could never leave, he'd only be solving your temporary problems. And they would continue to happen because you haven't dealt with the root issue. And that's your sin. That's my sin. Solving people's temporary problems, as wonderful as it may feel to people, doesn't actually bring any permanent solution. Temporary problems only bring relief temporarily. And that's what the people in Capernaum didn't get. It's no good wanting the benefits of heaven if you don't want the one who can get you to heaven. Here then's the good news for us. Jesus promised, I have come To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he really has. He has come to bring blessing to us. But is not merely blessing in the way we want it. The year of the Lord's favor. This proclaiming of good news. Is that Jesus is dealing with our sin right now. And he will free you from your greatest problem. And while he is powerful enough to solve all of your temporary problems, his heart is not merely to solve temporary problems, but to bring you a permanent solution. With that, we move to application. Let's understand then how this section of Luke... Is actually to drill itself into our lives. Three questions for application. Here's the first. Will you surrender everything and follow Jesus? Church, will you surrender everything and follow Jesus? For all here who long for the day. When they are no longer bothered with spiritual oppression. Or sickness and disease, or financial problems, or relational problems. For all here who want the ultimate solution, that's found in surrendering to Jesus today. You must be willing to admit, I am poor, I am spiritually oppressed, I am diseased, I, I can't do any of this on my own. And and you must be willing to acknowledge. And Peter's our pattern here. You must be willing to acknowledge, I am full of sin. I'm full of sin. I deserve nothing. I'm entitled to nothing. Jesus owes me nothing. And on your knees, admit, I want you, Jesus. And I surrender everything to you. My sense is there's some of you who know in your heart you have not surrendered to Jesus. And if you've not surrendered to Jesus, you're not a Christian. And if you think the temporary problems you're facing now are bad, if you're not a Christian, this is as good as your life is going to get. It's downhill from here. Surrender to Him. I think there's others here who who you do profess faith in Christ, but somehow there has become this little black box of sin that you're not letting Jesus have. And And only you know what's in your little black box But there's some stuff where you go When that song comes on I surrender all You sing at your heart I surrender all Except for my little black box I'm going to keep on hold of that Thank you But that ain't part of that song And that's not the way it works Some of you You're holding on to something And I don't know how it got created But it needs to be demolished And you need to get real before your Lord and Savior Because he sees it all You're tricking nobody Oh fine, you can trick me all day long You can trick your friends, family all day long But between you and the Lord If you've got something in a little black box You need to get on your face before the Lord And say, I surrender it Do anything Church, I just can't tell you the gift Of a clear conscience before the Lord When you say, man, I've put it all out there I don't know what the Spirit's working on in you But whatever it is, man, surrender it That's the call here a carpenter looks at a professional fisherman and says, I'm going to teach you a few things. Jesus may be looking at you, speaking into something you thought you were pro at. And Jesus goes, no, no, no. I'm going to do it my way. Whose way is it going to be? You need to surrender all. For those here who have surrendered all, amen. Amen. And when somebody comes to you and is going to confess, give them the gospel just like somebody gave you the gospel. If somebody confesses, don't you beat them over the head with some legalistic bat. Bless the Lord if somebody's confessing sin. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's question question for application one. Will you surrender everything and follow Jesus? For those who have surrendered everything, question two is really aimed at you. Here it is Do you want the benefits of following Jesus? Or do you want Jesus? Do you want the benefits? Or do you really want the man? Because if you really want Jesus, then this resolves any question you may be struggling with in regards to the suffering you're facing. Because what we see in the scripture is suffering is actually to be expected. So if you're struggling with spiritual oppression or or disease or, or financial issues or relational issues... Hello, welcome to the club This and a bazillion other ways Are how we actually suffer today And you don't have to lose your faith over this thing See, far too often Christians Go through something that's just really awful But then we scratch our head and go What? God, are you even sovereign? As if the scripture doesn't tell us To expect that this life really is awful This isn't the Garden of Eden I know some of y'all keep your lawns like it's the Garden of Eden and you've got $300 water bills during the summer, but it ain't Garden of Eden, man. No matter how often you fertilize that thing. Sin is real. The enemy is real. And if you're going to surrender to everything that Jesus has called you to, then you are top ten list of people he hates. And he's going to do everything he can to get you to doubt your faith That's what we've signed up for. Now, someday we're going to get to live in the true, perfect new heaven and new earth. And on that day, you're going to enjoy a perfectly manicured garden and you're not going to have to pay a penny to water it. But on this day, we face suffering so you don't have to lose your faith. If you want Jesus, you've got him. You've got everything you need. So if you all of a sudden lose out on some of the benefits that you thought were part of this or or perhaps you're here and somehow you didn't read the fine print that suffering is to be expected. man, I'm sorry it has to be this way, but you just got to know suffering is expected for the life of the Christian. It's going to get it's it's bad today. But the good news for us is this is as bad as it ever gets for us. This is as bad as it gets. And look, if you're sitting here going, yeah, but, but Jeremy, I really wanted the good life and I just want Jesus to give me the things I want. It's actually good news. He doesn't give you what you want. When you think about those in Capernaum, remember the people in Capernaum said, no, 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 we don't want you to leave. Stay here. And, and had Jesus said, okay, I'll stay with you. I'll stay here as long as you want. They would have never let him go. And he wouldn't have gone to the cross and he wouldn't have gone to the tomb and he wouldn't have resurrected. And he wouldn't have ascended to the right hand of God. Thank you, God, that the Capernaum people didn't get what they want. We wouldn't have salvation if they got what they want. For us then, thank you, God, you don't give us what we want. He's got something better. The final application built on the first two. If you surrender to Jesus and you really want Jesus more than the benefits, then straight out of the text, will you fish for men? Will you fish for men? I'm just repeating what the text says, although that word in the original language means men and women. Know this. All these years later, Jesus' gospel still has power. Okay? The simple gospel. You are a sinner. God is going to judge you for every thought, motivation, and deed. And on the scales of God's justice... You have been found lacking. But in Jesus, he will provide everything you need. That gospel message, the simple truth, is powerful. The power is not in your delivery. The power is not in a charismatic personality. The power is in his gospel. Go tell people. One of the benefits of a world that is struggling with spiritual oppression and sickness and, and financial difficulty and relational difficulty is the world is desperate and knows there's got to be something more. Man, he has said eternity in our hearts. Ecclesiastes three. Our friends and family are suffering too. And they know in the deepest part of their hearts, there's got to be a reason for this suffering. There's got to be something that God is doing. There must be a God. What is the answer to the purpose of life? The answer is found in the gospel so go tell them go share it boldly and if people reject you well they rejected jesus of course they're going to reject this but not everybody jesus tells us the world will hate you because it hates me but we're going to keep going fishing for men dear friends with confidence follow your lord surrender to all your issues and go fish for men Make Jesus' primary purpose your primary purpose. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I do ask now that you would take your word and empower our people to embrace it, make it theirs. We thank you for your word and this chance to understand and apply it. Do your work in Christ's name. Amen. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at MyMillCreek.com.